What's up, everyone? Welcome to Desolation Radio, Dan Nath. Uh, you okay? Yeah, what's happening? You left me sort of confused. <laughs> yeah, I was, wait, I was waiting for you to be like, oh, how are you? So then you just kind of stared at me and then it, it like prompted me to react. Back, back in the room. Yeah, so, yeah, Social interaction's hard, isn't it? It is, especially <laughs> after all my PTSD. Um, right, so, as continuing our general action special, we are delighted to be joined today by Dr. Di Moon, who is a senior lecturer in British politics at the University of Bath. Di is an expert on basically all things related to devolution in the UK, the Labour Party, particularly what we're going to talk about in this pod, the differences between, you know, the relationship between Welsh Labour and British Labour, because that's commonly lost. He also likes wrestling, and <laughs> when he was younger, he said he wanted to marry a carrot. <laughs> Something. Why marry a carrot? Yeah, <laughs> excellent. And uh, Dan Evans was a big fan of comedy, which is founded on axes and <laughs> Good, yes, so... Right. Yeah, so Dan and I have known each other since, like, zero years old, so that's, that's a nice bit of context uh, there. Well, it all goes down on your permanent record. <laughs> right, so, thanks for coming, Di. Um, yeah, we have known each other forever, so it's like, declaring interest, um, sort of making, like... One of the interesting things is, like, like, you and I, it's been quite nice over these years watching our political uh, journeys, sort of... <laughs> To an extent, I'm not even going to say where you start. <laughs> yes, please, please don't. Yeah, but but I feel like what's kind of interesting is we've moved so uh, we we overlap so much more than we used to in the past. Yeah, I think well, it's... we we used to. I mean, a bit of sort of self indulgent context. We used to um, when we went to our separate ways and went to uni, we set up a, a chat room or internet forum or whatever. It's Has called. it been taken down? Uh, I don't want if that's I, up there. I really still. hope it's. Yeah, I searched for the other thing this time, but we basically <laughs> set up a, like an internet f- chat, like a forum. So all of us. Well, we used to call ourselves like P Unit, which is the same, which is that's how cool we were. Like, um, but we so that like, like G Unit, yeah, we've both called like, no. um, but for <laughs> have you heard of G Unit? <laughs> it's a kind of amalgamate, the, uh, yeah, yeah, we got absorbed into it. Um, <laughs> it's like the develop, like the, the Wu Tang development, we got like, bought out um, under the Wu Tang umbrella, yeah, yeah like, like, like Shaheem's relationship to the Wu Tang, it was us with the, the real G Unit, but basically, what it was the, the whole point of the form was for like, um. For the boys to just, you know, this is pre Facebook, mm. um, just to keep update each other on how uni was going and how like how rubbish uni was compared to like Porth Call. <laughs> basically, basically, like, basically, basically yeah, to, basically, to like just town. like this is you know this sucks like university, which is back in Porth Call, um, and then Di and I just set up like a politics section of it, which just rapidly alienated like all the other lads, <laughs> like, just just spending all day and they're like ranting at each other and debating. Which and then Di said, well, wouldn't it be great one day if we just Start a podcast. We could, no, if we could basically like get into academia and basically just do that for a living, but via journals and <laughs> and Twitter, and so now it has actually happened, which yeah. is which is now, the best. I'm, like so that's that's us outed, <laughs> right? So why don't you talk to us about the Labour Party um, and how we talk about Labour? Okay, great. Well, um, the first thing to start with is is. Part of the problem is talking about Labour. Okay, one of the, th- the big things around this election, you know, following sort of conversations uh, in Twitter, in the media, and so on, is we always just talk about Labour and how it's going to go. Obviously, the Labour Party is an incredibly multifaceted. It contains multitudes. You know, to use that Walt Whitman phrase. Throwing the big words out already. Huh? Yeah, that's that's me early. <laughs> I switched off. Check out. <laughs> Right, so I'll, I'll leave my my jaw. No, 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 no. Right, so I got I have got some Hegel for later. So um, <laughs> seriously, but um, 
So to understand the Labour Party, the first thing you've got to do is is, is see that it is this very disparate organisation. It doesn't make sense, really, I don't think, to talk about Labour as a whole. But if you want to understand it, the next thing, which is what I've tried to do in my work for my sins, is that you've got to understand it in terms of the formal parts of the of the of the party, and then what I refer to as the non-formal, which is academic speak. But what I mean by that is the Labour Party is made up of uh, constitutionally constituted particular parts. Okay, so you have MPs, you've got councillors, you've got constituency Labour Parties, you've got the leader of the Labour Party. These are formal roles which exist and they have particular uh, set down rules of what they're going to be. People have positions. Okay. Then you've also got the non-formal. And what I mean by the non-formal is that layered on top of that is uh, a whole discourse and ideology, conceptualization of what Labour is, how it functions. Now, I use those odd terms because the party itself doesn't exist outside of discourse, right? There's no material. I can't touch a word and touch the party. Um, it's all discursive. But, but what you've got to understand is how the key divisions within the party, I think, and the key battle within the party is about and between different tendencies, different wings, different individuals fighting over the meaning ascribed to the different formal elements of the party and also the construction of informal elements of the party. So, uh, if you want to interject, just do so, otherwise <laughs> I'll keep talking. No, I mean, it's, it's, what, what you're talking about is extremely important, I mean, because the Corbyn leadership is shone a light on these sort of different scales of the Labour Party in ways that, you know, has been, you know, educational for me. I mean, you know, and, and what it's done in many ways for me, I mean, I have always, always been guilty of speaking about Labour as this like, sort of monolithic... Homogenised, like... Yeah, you know, this is just the Labour Party. And, and what, it, I mean, through following, like, you know, sort of obscure battles, like sort of, you know, via Twitter, obviously, about control of, you know, local Labour Party... The, local Labour Party, the control of the NEC and things like that. It's really drawn attention to how how complex and, as you said, multifaceted the Labour Party is. Um, so what, what, one of the things we're interested in, um, talk a bit more about these, you know, the, the formal versus informal. Sure. Well, a perfect example of that is, um, we're, we're, it, it's Calvin Jones's position, right, his Welsh Labour leader. Because it's one of the obvious attack lines from nationalists is there is no such thing as Welsh Labour leader. Formally, it doesn't exist in the in the party constitution. So is that right then? There isn't a no Scotland, yeah, but there isn't in, uh, just a branch manager. It's not well. That's the thing, right? Is it's that what it is form like you know? So what? Yeah, that's useful. So what is Carwin Jones's like formal role form- in the Labour Party then? So f- formally, the position from the foundation of uh, devolution was uh, uh, well, he's it's the leader of the Assembly Group, the Labour Group in the Assembly, right? But so, and that's the attack. Well, there isn't really one there. It's not, it's there. But the point is, Carwin Jones is Welsh Labour leader. Formally, it would be Corbyn, but actually he is. But the way he's done that, it's an informal position, which he and others and the discourse around it has constructed for him. Perfect example, he gets to speak at a Labour Party conference. There is a Welsh Labour leadership speech, which he gives every year. He gives one in Wales, he gives one in London, etc. He's created that position. It doesn't need to be written down there, Okay. We've, and and in so doing, he, he, he's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating the rhetoric he's been using, but it's all been about uh, this, this carving out of the responsibility for the politics 
in Wales as a Welsh Labour and kind of kind of creating this space which a Welsh Labour Party as this sort of very, very uh, unclear in many senses entity controls. So why does this all sort of matter? Well, one of the things I, th- I think it's key for us if we're going to understand how Labour operates, in particular in Wales, is you've got to put it in a UK context. A lot of the way we think about politics in Wales, and this is obviously, it makes sense, with devolution, is that we kind of keep our focus a lot on what's going on in Wales. That means Cardiff Bay focus. If you look at a lot of the conversations in, uh, again, obviously, Twitter. I don't know why, but I feel like Welsh Twitter is actually one of the main places that we talk about Welsh politics. Um, yes, both, we, haven't got, we haven't got anywhere else to talk Well, exactly, yeah. They, as, as you yourself have so uh, perfectly written about. Um, but... So what part of the conversation around that is we always talk about sort of the focus on Cardiff Bay. It's about the big figures there. When you talk about what's going on at Westminster, it's obviously, it's, it's often a narrative about how these perfidious uh, members of the PLP or something are holding back. And there are particular names which will come out there, you know. Blairites, yeah. Exactly. Well, the first thing you get is this notion of what we have is a plucky left-wing Welsh Labour versus some... Um, terrible Blairite PLP, or the other one we all love is a pro-devolution Welsh Labour in the Assembly and so on, versus a uh, devo-sceptic um, Welsh Labour PLP. So, a bit like Rodri Morgan rhetoric, you know, you can... Well, well, Rodri, was he... Rest in peace, I will add. <laughs> Man, Rodri, Ro- Rodri Morgan's passing uh, shocked me so much. I mean, he is one of the... Now, here's a fun fact everyone says wasn't actually in the speech he gave, which everyone will always quote. My little fun fact is Mark Drakeford, I remember saying him saying, well, I created that phrase and I put it in there. But 1999, he was utilising uh, the same rhetoric when he's talking about the differences between himself and Alan Michael. So you can go all the way back to there. What's interesting there is Roger Morgan was saying, he said uh, in this uh, BBC interview, um, I think you can see there's a clear blue water or indeed a clear red water between myself and um, the other candidate. There, he was creating this division of uh, red, red dragon, red socialism, of him situated that ground versus uh, someone else in the party. But then when it comes to him being first minister, it's, it's this attempt, not between his own MPs, but he is creating this space for, um, to allow Welsh Labour to be different to the party at Westminster. So is Roderick Morgan, I mean... Um in many ways, like the, you know, he started this, uh, you know, Carwin's his uh, protege in a, in a sense, like of, Roddy Morgan starts this rhetoric of you know, Welsh Labour's difference in the Assembly um, and Carwin Jones has sort of accelerated it or, or not. I think Carwin's embedded it and he's naturalised it, but the reason that's happened is because of the One Wales Coalition. Hmm. I wrote an article, bit of a hey, get out there, fun times, behind a paywall, on the debate that happened within Labour, about the One Wales Coalition, in which I, I sat in on the discussion, and I've kind of quote, quote, and I quoted from it anonymously. But, so, stepping back another stage, let's go back another stage. Sure. The big narrative in the Labour Party has not been left or right. It's been this idea of, whatever you want to call it, I think... Um, it's been referred to in not very particularly politically correct terms as the schizophrenia within uh, Welsh Labour, where you have a unionist versus nationalist, or a British versus Welsh, 
Um, I have tried to prefer the, the, or pro-devolution versus devo-skeptic. I prefer materialist maybe versus uh, soft nationalist or I would go for um, devo-skeptic maybe versus devo-enthusiast. I think the rhetoric of pro-devolution versus devo-skepticism Devo-scepticism is pro-devolution. It's just sceptical about what you want to be. It's different. And has that traditionally been split? As I mean, in my understanding, that the, the split has been between Welsh Labour MPs occupying sort of... And that's, that, that's been the stereotype, isn't it? Welsh Labour yeah. MPs well, first occupying all, homegrown. First of all, the split's gone back before devolution, right? Yeah, it's classic. I mean, people like the... It's it's the difference between Leo Absey, a minor as a minor in Scunthorpe, uh, as he is in South Wales, and so on. People always bring up Bevan there. Yeah. Um, then he put them against other people such as, uh, you know, uh, Cledwin Hughes and um, people like that. Um, but then, as you say, if you, I know, of course, 1980, uh, sorry, 1980, 1979, when you have the referendum, you've got the big people, Neil Kinnock on one side, he's against it. And then come to 1997, a lot of what's happened is that, that at that point, anti-devolution tendency has disappeared. So you have this part of the party, which is a um, working class internationalist solidarity, nationalism is a bourgeois construction, we need centralised command control economy, you know, that sort of yeah, classic yeah. thing. Versus... Smith and all that. Exactly. Versus a um, sort of, I would say in many senses, romanticising um, Welsh identity, comfortable with uh, sort of a, a soft nationalist socialism. So people link back to Keir Hardy, the red dragon of Wales on the red flag. By 1997, largely because of Margaret Thatcher, that tension has... Kind of pulled itself down, you know. Ron Davis is. Do you remember Ron Davis? Yeah. With all the stuff with Rodri, there was a lot of headlines calling him the father of devolution. I thought that might have slightly upset Ron Davis a little bit there. Well, he, I mean, he, I mean, he was, as far as I understand, he was going to be the. Sure, indeed, the, first until minister, the moment um, of madness. But then, until the Clapham Common. Yep. But his his line was, as someone who hadn't been pro devolution, was um, he saw, I think he was going into Caffili, uh, we voted. Labour, we got Thatcher, and a lot of people went, this is what we need, we need something in place to defend us against uh, conservative dominance in particular, because the English keep voting for that. That means when we come to devolution 1997, a lot of that sort of anti-devolution feeling has, it, it's it's kind of died down. There are people who will voice for it, but they, they don't get involved directly, any of the MPs, within the no campaign. So... Things kind of, you've got this tension there, and that's where we start to have this idea of a tension between the MPs and the AMs, but it's just far, far more complex than that. So for my sins, uh, when I was just at university, I was, I, I worked, volunteered over the summer within Transport House in Cardiff, involved in pulling together the data which came in from part of the Partnership in Power agreement, where everyone in the affiliates and the CLPs put their views in on uh, the Riches Commission yeah. report, Better Governance for Wales, which would then turn into the white paper, which is radically different. Now, a lot of the writing about that has been this idea of somehow uh, Labour in London was imposing this sort of weakened uh, form of devolution settlement upon the party in Wales. But actually, because I, I saw this data, what it really pointed to is the grassroots within Labour in Wales aren't some homogeneously pro uh, further devolution set, well they weren't in 2004, that the splits within the party are much more across all layers of it, okay? When it came then to 2007, there were assembly members who were 
passionately against the deal. There are MPs who are there are MPs who are passionately for the deal. There were councillors. There were the, the, the affiliates split. The unions. You know those divisions within that. So the idea that it's just MPs one side, AMs the other, kind of ignore the councillors, frankly, yeah. within this thing, it's completely not the case. It's, it's a multifaceted, boom, 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 uh, system there. Why 2007 is so important in the One Wales Coalition, for me, is that the last real uprising we've had of that once existential division within the party between maybe a British, a British form of state socialism about in, and, and then a sort of a Welsh, maybe soft nationalist vision there. Just to interject briefly, if you're not from, if you're listening, you're not from Wales, um, the One Wales Coalition in 2007 is basically when uh, Labour and Plaid Cymru went into government together in the Assembly. Sorry, I go on. Yeah, it's, how can, surely it's one of the most momentous things in British political <laughs> history. <laughs> oh, huge, yeah. But um, it was such a fascinating period because what I, what I loved about it is it, there was so much rage, so much anger. And I think that unless you're part of the Labour family, it maybe doesn't make as much sense, but there was. What's happened is since. Where was that coming from? Where, where, where was that all coming from? Or what? I mean, talk about a bit more about that tension within the Labour Party. Okay, so the, like, the key figures you sort of got, the big names people would have there. So there's Kim Howells, famously, <laughs> wrote a letter in the Western Mail, sort of attacking this, uh, the dealers bringing Plaid right to the doors. You also had a section of the AMs who came out and said, we have nothing in common with Plaid Cymru. The rhetoric around One Wales from those who were against the deal. Um, the number one thing is we're internationalists. We're not nationalists. You can't combine socialism with nationalism unless it's British nationalism. Mm. What? Okay, let's let's move <laughs> well, on. National socialism. Yeah, that right. works out well. Well, one of the one of the lines you get from that is I've never been able, I've never been able to combine nationalism and socialism and not get that. Yeah, yeah You've got rhetoric saying Plaid is a racist party. This is behind the closed doors stuff. Mm. There, um, so, I have nothing in common. And and also then we we care about bread and butter issues rather than this constitutional stuff. Now. You've just left on to exactly that British nationalism thing. Here's the thing. I I don't disagree, but necessarily. But I, I, I kind of do at the same time. Because I think that the people who think like that, they, they genuinely don't think in terms of British nationalism, even though the sphere in which they are thinking is Britain. I think it really is a... a sense of working class across borders. Yeah, the borders. The borders are, let's be clear, the borders of mainland Britain. But so it's, that, it's, but that, that, that is the issue, isn't it? I mean, that they're nationalist in. I mean, I think they fundamentally confuse nationalism as like this. You know, nationalism isn't this mad patriotism where you sort of, you know, I love my country over every, all others. In the context of this, it's literally what the borders of a country and what the polity should be. Yeah. And the fact is, the people who always talk about this internationalism tend to be, tend to be oh, some of the most militaristic. Not all the time, but you know, Kim Howells. Uh, these are people who for all their sort of international solidarity, don't have a problem with bombing people in other countries, um, using the British armed forces, you know, um, despite, you know, so, I mean, I mean, if, you know, if you read that, you know, the Michael Billig and banal nationalism, yeah. despite what they say, Billig would say, well, these are the most nationalistic people ever. And they don't think, they might not think they are, but they are, and that's the point. I mean, they just, just because they think about it, they, it's about what the container is. Yeah, well, I'm just... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just. Telling, I'm just telling you that's that's, that's how it, yeah. that's that's how it thinks there, which is one of the like they're not like massively fighting for the greatness of Britain as they see it. But then again, let's let's think about what the great socialist achievements in Britain have been. It was 
the British NHS, maybe the BBC, you talk about the, the Trade Union Congress, um, and all these things were British-level stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah. what we've seen now, of course, is devolution. Do you know about that, devolution? <laughs> and that's, that's, I mean, that, that's something which the left has, has got to massively struggle with. And in particular, we can talk about how devolution functioned and now doesn't function and didn't function with Labour, because it's huge. Right, my point, getting back to my little rant Sorry. here. No, that's... that's <laughs> uh, is... Um, with 2007, you have that uprising. You've got that one side. And actually, what's interesting is the people who were pro the deal, their entire argument was much more about, look, rationally, we've got to make a deal. We can't not make a deal. Um, that's the system of government we have here. We're only accepting little bits of their stuff. Really, the manifestos agree. And it was a much more... Uh, I, I study and write on rhetoric and oratory. And what you had from the anti-deal side was... They created this total logic of uh, splitting it. It was incommensurable. Nationalism is the enemy. It perverts the words they use. It poisons mm. uh, socialism, right? On the other side, you had, look, this is the way it's got to work. It's not that big a deal, blah, blah, blah. It kind of fits together. On the one side, you have basically the rhetoric of the losing side, mm. which is they're attacking the elite. This is undone. The other side are going, that's the system. We've got to work for it. The deal was a done deal. And I feel like that was a cathartic moment within Labour. Because people had that moment, that shout out about it, and then one side very clearly is now there. I think that the Labour Party is generally a pretty much a, a soft nationalist, uh, social democratic, uh, devo-maximising, albeit not as fast as some people would like it, party. There are people within it who don't necessarily agree with that stuff, both formally holding political positions and just within the party but it's not like they're willing to die in a ditch over it in the way they want to win if people are kind of they'll grumble but whatever in fact a lot of the people who were so passionately against it you'll find that they've left the party um i think that that the clearest resemblance of that sort of rhetoric you'll find it around the people in true wales and others there so you've got that what we have seen i feel is with devolution is this sort of uneasy tension which exploded around 2007 and then has since kind of settled down and I think that's important as well because it settled down this entire Cardiff Bay culture as well where most of the parties have been operating on a sort of social democratic um, to different degrees obviously but you know recognizing an interventionist state is something we should support and um, soft nationalist and uh, devo maximizing under R.T. Davis you might say the Tories have started to shift more away from that but there has the I, I tried tried to coin the term the Welsh Minister consensus for this so that people would quote me. No one's doing that. But it's we still yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's brilliant and it's a good idea that the Welsh Minister <laughs> consensus. But there has been that sort of general acceptance there, which is when you go into two thousand eleven, everyone supports more powers in the major parties, apart from sort of true Wales, who mm. um small grassroots organisation. And I thought it was very kind of notable if you go back and watch that video, seeing Rachel Banner when she gives the talk after the election, sorry, after the referendum results announced, she kind of gets booed. And she's being booed, it's, you know, there's kind of an unhappiness, right? Yeah. By all of the major political parties. And there's something kind of, that, yeah. that says, that's an interesting visual there. Anyway, never mind. Um, right, so there's been this settling down. And I, that then links me back into why we need to actually start looking back into how Wales fits into British politics and how the Labour Party fits into that. So, 
what you said basically there's this being this new the Welshminster consensus let's talk about let's just use that term but as you said <laughs> great branding like yeah um TM die moon what date do you, do you uh, that was here? I think it was moon 2013 um, yeah. so that so so there's you know so there's this what you're saying is that informally there's been a new it's almost like um Informally, there's this new image for the Welsh Labour Party around sort of the Assembly, um, but not just the Assembly and MPs as well. So, how then does that fit in? I mean, like we've seen the Corbyn leadership. What's been in the news? And Martin Shipton wrote, I thought, a pretty good article on it in the Western Mail. Welsh Labour have now sort of distanced themselves from Corbyn, or seem to have distanced themselves yeah, from Corbyn's and campaign. Cowan's speech so, mentioned him, did he? Given what you just said about the development of Labour and this sort of new soft nationalist. Labour Party focus on the Assembly. What's the difference between like Corbyn et al. now and his campaign and what Carwin Jones and stuff? I mean, it was Roger, Roger Scully last week said the only way Labour could win in Wales would be to sort of distance himself from um, yeah. Corbyn and focus it on Carwin Jones. So what's the relationship there? Yeah. Well, um, start big again, right? This gets back to a major issue, which is, which is again about devolution. How does Labour function under devolution? So the first several years of devolution, Labour running Westminster, they're running Cardiff, they're running uh, Edinburgh, right? They're in all those places. That's where we have to start thinking about, okay, we need some sort of differentiation within the party. And that's where Clear Edwater comes and other things. Welsh Labour uh, recognises or feels it recognises that the Welsh, you can you can shift to the left here. You've got, first of all, you've got to be showing value addition. I've got to be doing different stuff, right? <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point of having an assembly? So you've got to be doing different policies. But the problem for Labour is, if they're doing different policies in Cardiff and Edinburgh, how do you do that without the media going, are you saying that uh, policies in Westminster yeah. are rubbish? And of course you can't say that. The worst case of this was, and you know, rest in peace, one of the best people in politics, I would say, is, is Roger Morgan around the Iraq war, where he's interviewed, he's on uh, question time, and they're like, would you have supported the, the invasion of Iraq? And he's like, well, I'm not an MP, so I've not looked into it. And you're like... As if, come yeah. on, you clearly would not have supported what, the Iraq. What war? Oh, really? But it's that difficult because it, it's, it's a sort of when did you last beat your wife question, isn't it? It's sort of like, <laughs> there's, there's no right out there. You can't go, no, I wouldn't. And you can't go, yes. Like, so anyway, so Welsh Labour were very clever in finding a way to deal with that, which is clear red water, which is basically a way, you know, that the redness is the Welsh dragon as much as it is socialism. And in fact, I'd say that a lot of, I mean, Welsh nationalism, soft wealth nationalism, certainly where we come from in the South, is it's tied into working class. It's completely in there. The rugby team's a working class team compared to those posh English Irish. Come on, we know that. Yeah, that's the, the identity, isn't it? Exactly. So um, what they managed to do is to say, listen, nothing against what they're doing in England. That's all great. Love that. But see, we're a small nation. We've got different communal values. We need to operate in a different way. It's a Welsh recipe for socialism. They're made in Wales policies. And they found a rhetoric by which they could put in place policies to differentiate themselves from uh, London without telling them, you know, we hate you. <laughs> okay. At the same time, and, and, and MPs can work with that, AMs can work with that. You can kind of operate in that. That's fine. And there were obviously tensions. Some people like it, some people don't. Part of the problem for Scotland is they never found that, that rhetoric. No. They never managed to kind of... We're Scottish. Yeah. That's sort of... That's part of the story. And I've been doing research for Scottish Labour at the moment, and we can talk about that later maybe. But I think that's what they didn't manage fully to get in place there. Now, the reason I go into that is, despite these tensions, it still kind of works when Labour run the three 
mainland Britain assemblies, yeah? Because you found a way of solving that awkward problem, but at least you still got your government in Westminster. What becomes much more difficult, I think, is when you've got the Tories running Westminster, Labour here, SNP up in Scotland. Because mm. now we're fighting on completely different territory if you're the Labour Party, okay? Um, how do you sort of bring that all together? It's, you've, it's, it's much more difficult to find a way of solving. And that takes us into people like Ed Miliband and Corbyn. Now, if you would talk to, maybe not anyone, but if you talk to people who are pretty honest, Ed Miliband didn't really understand devolution. Didn't get it. Didn't get Jeremy it. Corbyn doesn't really understand devolution. Like that. Uh, doesn't get it. I mean, the, the, the thing was the other day, apparently he was meant to be doing, um, when he gave his talk in Whitchurch, uh, apparently he was meant to be, you know, it was meant to be on education. And you know, like a threat, toys threatening the education system, and people were like whispering about, do you know, it's, do you know, it's devolved? Uh, apparently, though, uh, that, that was that, that was, was it was in it was in England somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that that was just poor communication by the Labour media. Team. Oh, he wasn't ever going to talk I, about who it. knows, but oh. that you know, the fact we even having this conversation shows it wasn't particularly well done by the Labour media team. But yeah, there is that sort of sense of they're not really sitting, and that's a major problem in particular in. Uh, Scotland. Yeah, he, he seems as if he's... De- well, it seems like he's just deferred to Doug Dale on a lot of things. It's almost like he's... He just, I mean, well, I think... That's the impression well, I got. Yeah, well, and if, to a large extent, fair play. I mean, he should defer to Kezia Doug Dale. Kezia Doug Dale is the leader of the Scottish Labour Party. She's been elected Formally. quite clearly. Uh, yeah, she is. So, um, and... So the research we've been doing up in Scotland, I can't do a lot of talking about it because it's still ongoing. Um, and especially on this podcast, right? You know, God Almighty, am I happy? Yeah. A huge audience, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's Unbelievable. Mr. Worldwide. Yeah, pretty but, much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what you find from doing focus groups and talking to the members there is actually um, there's, a, there's a lot of support from the party for uh, Kezia to a large extent for them because they just don't want another leader. Think how many Scottish leaders there have been for the Labour Party. They've, they, you know... Um, it's a bit like Henry. Can't, the, can't it's can't like Henry VIII's wives, right? It's like divorced, uh, beheaded, died. Yeah, it, it, well, it's, it's died, scandal, uh, failed, failed, overthrown. Right? Okay. So people need some stability there. But also, let's not pretend that her politics somehow are radically different to the Scottish uh, necessarily their electorate when it, all the Scottish Labour voters there. Um, Scotland voted for Owen Smith. Uh, you know the membership didn't vote they, for yeah, Corbyn. Yeah. That's know. interesting. So. One of the reasons I would posit is that 2014, my God, we've had this conversation about all this stuff. I'm, I'm rambling as ever. But 2014, right, a lot of the people who joined Labour when Corbyn was elected had already joined the SNP. So right. the Scottish Labour Party has had a smaller influx of new members. And it's actually quite a classic pre-2015 uh, party there, which means it's, it's sort of it doesn't have as many, I would argue, of the Corbynista sort of uh, people within it as you as you would see in Wales and England. So has there been a big influx of sort of you know Corbynistas into Wales? And what is the relationship? Well, we'll get back to what the relationship is between um, you know. Corbyn, I've got to talk Cor- about Corbyn. I apologise. Cool. Well, we'll talk about the relationship between Corbyn and Carwin uh, Jones in um, in a minute. But f- firstly, within the Welsh Labour Party, what's been the relationship between like the, you know sort of in- has there been like, all this like incoming Corbynista surge and because I thought it'd be quite interesting. Because I mean, you know, if I think of the Welsh Labour Party, I think of like you know, this is my personal opinion. I think of old reactionary white men in the valleys that don't like women, um, and then I think of Corbynistas, and I think of you know, middle class people with 
white blokes with dreadlocks. Um, <laughs> you know, no, you know, good, good, good. What I'm saying, good people who have found a party they identify with. And I always thought, well, if there's any, ever going to be a tension between their ideas, not necessarily politically, because these old white men I just mentioned are, 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 will be dyed in the wool socialists, a lot of them, um, but it'll be on things like identity politics and uh, things like organisation and attitudes towards other parties and things like that. So I was wondering if there has been any, what has there been an influx of Corbyn supporters into Wales and what's the, what's the relationship been there on like local level and national level? Well, there's obviously definitely been an influx into it. Um, the The big issue there is how many people are active in the CLPs. It's it's no um, secret that I would say the Labour Party across Wales is uh, officially. So, for example, officially, I think Bridgend's got like six hundred members. There's not six hundred people out on doorstep, and so no, you know, no. it's just it's like it's, it's almost like. Um stuck on Twitter isn't it that's where momentum just seems to solely exist I don't know for me like momentum almost just it's either on Twitter or in London like you don't really see that transferred into like local branches like Roger Scully said you know um, last time uh, last episode that God, if you love Roger so much maybe you should get him back on the podcast yeah. unbelievable <laughs> well I would be hanging out with no, I, I, I yeah. love Roger too yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean um, I mean I thought that was like a you know I almost thought that was an unfair criticism to level up momentum and all these new members. Like, oh, they're not used to like party party work and like you know the boring stuff and stuff like that. And then you see, obviously, the big meetings that Corbyn goes to, you know, like in York and like Leamington Spa and things like that. And, and he does have these big public meetings where he sort of attracts and energizes people. But I don't know whether or not young the Corbyn supporters do go out and do. Well, yeah, it's okay. stuffing things in envelopes and, and knocking on doors. And but I mean, it's like a younger generation, their attitude towards. Um, These young people, man. Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not necessarily as well. I mean, there's like, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, people who left the party for other reasons have come back uh, as well, or come from other parties, often from Labour. All those Trotskys, isn't it? And the woodwork finally. The Trots have finally emerged. Yeah. Well, I, I know. Activated. Well, yeah. I know for a fact that, you know, one of our former teachers active member of the militant tendency I think he's back in the party now Quinn what's brilliant is that you know um, I also went back to the Mark Steele thing when he joined the Communist Party brilliant book and, and, it, and his uh, his analogy was like um, socialist work party I joined the SWP or the Communist Party and then like at the same it was at the time you know the IRA were sort of conducting the mainland bombing campaign in, in the UK and the SWP came out and said like, well obviously we support the IRA basically uh, and the or, or the Communist Party, and then the analogy was like someone was saying, if someone sets a fire, sets fire to your lounge, and you're like, well, I wholeheartedly support this fire, <laughs> and I hope that it spreads and engulfs my entire house. I mean, but people just don't understand. And now, when people are saying it's like people are genuinely horrified, saying, you know, now the left wing, you know, these Trotskyists are taking over the Labour Party. I'm like, this is just the best news ever, man. I'm like, you know, this fantastic, <laughs> like. Hook into my vein. I think I think both sides of the sort of the the, the, the you know the, the argument about militant trots taking over stuff uh, nonsense. First of all, of course, some trots have rejoined the party, obviously, right? And that, and actually, they've always been quite influential within the British left. But on the other hand, no, of course, it's not some horrifying, you know, evil sort of tentacles taking over everything either. You know, especially when you take into the factor that a lot, you know, how much do people actually get engaged in politics? So many sometimes they're out, you know. If I look at the CLPs where I know people within them, the message I get back is it's a lot of the same people are doing stuff uh, when it comes out to you know being on the door and so on. Mm-hmm. But then there has obviously been an influx of people as well. And I definitely don't want to denigrate 
that at the same time. If there is a problem, I think it's the wider part of the problem that maybe party politics in itself yeah, just doesn't kind of, work. Yeah, it just kind of join, join <laughs> momentum. Problem is just that society is completely yeah. broken. And yeah. So, yeah. so this yeah. is this is the bit where I'm going to start talking about my my call for anarcho syndicalism. Yeah. 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 No, but what, what I meant was like you know like Mick, is it Mick, Mick Anthony or he's a Ponty MP, isn't he? But he's AM rather. As far as I'm aware, he was he's a Corbyn fan. But then I know like Lee Waters and a lot of the other people sort of towed the line and were like, we support Owen Smith because he's Welsh and, you know. Um, but let's get back now to the okay. difference between Cor- the Corbyn, Corbyn Bob campaign Bob, and, right. the, and the Carl Jones campaign. Okay. Although it, it, you can't dangle that in front of me, right? That sort of, <laughs> that, that uh, election campaign with Corbyn versus um, Just trying Owen to Smith. lure him into traps all the time. Like. Exactly. Because <laughs> I, I think... I think I mean that was beautiful. I I, I saw the I, I went to very quickly went to Scotland uh, to do some research there, and we, I sat in on the uh, debate between uh, Owen Smith and Corbyn in Glasgow. And first of all, they kept talking about the NHS. Uh, they agreed with it. They agreed with each other, didn't they? Yeah, but you know, there was no discussion almost about the devolved element. But it was notable that you did have booing from some Corbyn people who were sat behind us, and they were Larry as heck. I mean. Um, my colleague who is with me you can say hell on this uh, podcast can I be? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a gentleman <laughs> but, um, but but yeah anyway never mind I don't know what I'm talking about there right difference between Corbyn and the Carolyn campaign here so this is a difficult one I well first of all let's talk in policy here because you've been a massive understandable as of other people uh, critic of the fact that there's this clear uh, muddying of the t- water in terms of like who runs what yeah okay Okay, I can see positive. I can see. I can give you a positive and a negative for this. First of all, you're completely right. People don't actually, re- although if you look at the polling in terms of do people understand evolution, the majority of people do at this point know health is devolved. They do know this. Okay, but the caveat. So I was spent as the new that I am pre- preparing for my talk that I'm going to give in June. On nice, hey, nicely and plugged. Hey, on why that I'm going to plug like a fully and paid a member of the bourgeois sort of. Are uh, you going? You've got a talking hair, have you? Doing a tour, doing a tour. But what I'm saying, look you're at the, the new Christopher Hitchens, you're <laughs> taking his spot. Looking at the ICM data, yep. so it was looking at awareness of, uh, so the questions are out, and Roger Scully decided this were, so you asked about that. Don't, don't just say his name again. <laughs> but, <laughs> Lord Scully. He's, he's, he's brilliant. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, soon, but soon. we've got like, um, Father Scully. <laughs> they, they, they ask basically, you know, who is in charge, who do you say is in charge of the following things in Wales? So it's yeah. like education, the NHS and policing being the two, you know, it's, Trick question if policing is not devolved, yep. but education and NHS are devolved. So, like a majority, I think, I think, double, I'll double check, but I mean, the majority of people did know that uh, education, I think, uh, well, not not many people did. It wasn't a, a landslide of people who understood what was devolved. Generally, older people tended to know more, younger sure. people didn't know what was devolved, apart from education, which was devolved. Um, what I thought was interesting, they also did a split. And they broke it down by party preference. And of all the parties, it was Labour voters who had, we're talking like neat, over 10% less likely to understand who was in charge of what. And I think that's quite interesting. It's really interesting. Cause, cause I, and the yeah. Labour areas, I think it was like Blind and Gwent, only like 20% of people knew that the NHS was devolved, things like that. So there is definitely a knowledge, yeah. a deficit, a knowledge gap, specifically within the Labour vote. So that's why I got so pissed off when. Labour in Wales seem to be campaigning for the Westminster election on things that are already devolved because it's just for yeah, me yeah. that's saying like the inescapable conclusion is 
it's almost like they don't want people to know that. But, but I mean, that that's probably. Well, I think like one of, one of the things, um, and the article that you will, I'm, I know it's it's out there in the ethos um, about sort of you know Gramsci on Wales. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's superb. My issue here is all about the extent to which this stuff's deliberate. Yeah, I yeah, don't think it is. I th- well, okay. I think probably some of it is, but some of it isn't, right? But here's the thing: this general election, the latest polls have the number one or number two issue, depending now. Brexit and immigration seem to be being overtaken by the NHS. Yeah. Labour Party can just sigh with relief, right? That's all. That's there, even though actually the Tories might be beating them on that last time. That's all. <laughs> but NHS. Now here's the thing: how do you fight a general election in Wales? With leaflets, which have got nothing about the NHS on there, yeah. it's going to be a massive gaping hole, especially especially because people are going, well, where is it? There is also then the point here that, well, the NHS only has funding because of Barnett formula, Barnett consequentials. Yeah. Everybody loves talking about the Barnett formula, so that's the next ten minutes. Barnacle formula. Barnacle formula. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, you know, the point is the Tories' plans will cut funding, yeah. which will have Barnett consequentials to cut the block grant to Wales, which will mean there'll be less money to spend on the NHS. Which means Labour can support and make decisions over at Westminster about opposing cuts, which means opposing cuts to Wales's block grant. So Labour here are trying to support it, but that's such a convoluted message, right? How do you how do you get that down there but as I well? I do think that is really important, and it's something I, I've definitely guilty of. I, I, I mean, in, it's like who's responsible for this in the last instance or whatever? Exactly. And I said it is all about money, and yeah. ultimately it's the money is comes from Westminster. So yeah, exactly. right, yeah, fair yeah. Point. That showed me like, yeah. <laughs> but it's, you shut up. <laughs> my my uh, PhD Thomas uh, Evans is working on a thing at the moment, uh, a research project about. Uh, you'll love this as well about defence as a devolved policy area. Defence is a perfect example. It's a reserved power, right? The most reserved. It's yeah. like literally Ministry of Defence. We control this. But then again, Anismon, there's like 500 locals uh, working on an uh, uh, air force base there, right, etc. That we've got a large amount of military stuff in Wales. St. Athens. St. Athens, Athens yeah. is that? Yeah. All that stuff means you have to have local services, education, health. Uh, they've got to be doing stuff there. You've got to have planning permission for the fact that we fly all our drones over Wales, right? That means you can't build massive pylons. So there's very few truly devolved, non-devolved or areas that devolution doesn't have an impact on, I would argue. Not least because, one, money Two, you can't really run British-wide stuff here without devolution doing it. Yeah. What if the, what, what if the Welsh Assembly went, right, no education, we'll get rid of that. You know, suddenly the British Army's got some problems here as well. So, as well as everyone else. That's my extreme uh, example there. No education, British Army, so, surgeon, um, <laughs> members, it? How about I finally talk about sort of the Corbyn thing yet? But that's my point there, is that, that you've got... That's one of the reasons why it's, you you see Labour's obviously got to have stuff about the NHS. They can't somewhere. not talk about stuff. But, but, the, but, but how do you talk about it? Like I would love to see leaflets saying Labour will be fighting to protect the budget at Westminster so the Barnet consequentials don't hit onto. But yeah, in a sense I'm defending. Really exactly. In a sense I'm defending them, but it's just it's part of a massive structural problem which just keeps making itself worse. Um, then the Corbyn thing, right? So um, I have from the beginning been counselling fellow comrades that Jeremy Corbyn it was was going to be a failure as Labour leader. And now you've talked it's about the Ralph Miliband prophecy, ah, isn't it? See here you go. You see you bring out Ralph Miliband, and I think you I think you're right there. But people didn't kind of take the logical. And point. then and then you had Ed and David just to affirm that it would come true. <laughs> yeah, fair play, Jim. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I've written this. Am I going to actually yeah. prove I'm right? Yeah. But see, I think that's true. But my problem with Corbyn is actually I 
I might become horribly wrong, but I do think it's possible to have a left-wing Labour Party leader who could be a success. I don't think the problem with Corbyn is necessarily that he's on the left. And actually, I don't think the problem within the PLP is that he's on the left, in all honesty. We were talking beforehand about the uh, podcast last time with Roger, where he's talking about competence. And, you know, the question was... Every time Roger's name's mentioned, you should take a shot at home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Re-listen to this yeah, and then yeah. play the game. Yeah. <laughs> It's very niche for yeah. students who will be do- drinking for that life. Yeah. Well, anyone who listens to this podcast already drinking, let's, yeah. be, let's be clear. <laughs> already in a low place. Exactly. Already in a bad place. Like. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. But, um, right. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're completely you know, she, All right, yeah, they yeah, Here's cool. the thing, right? So let's, let's just, let's, let's step back. We've got to understand all of this in the British context as well. So Jeremy Corbyn, I would argue, is literally the worst person you could possibly imagine to take on this role. Why? Well, all the stuff people like about him, good stuff, anti-apartheid, anti-Iraq war, that's great. Solid germ. Nice bloke. I think that the left is coming from uh, a disadvantage automatically, which is that our position, I think we're all on the left in this room, yeah? I agree. I think it's it's a harder sell right now. Part of that's because of embedded neoliberal hegemony, whatever neoliberalism is, right? Um, and the What's fact that, that that's the normalised... <laughs> What's a social democrat? <laughs> democrat? Never heard of it, Governor. Uh, we could write for the mainstream... Yeah, I'll get it. we'll get a job straight away in like the Times or the New Statesman. Right? This is the application form for to be like a journalist. It's like, what are these things? You and know if you just put like, basic don't concept, know, like, you just, are. yeah. Well, people board, people are screaming yeah. at their iPods about the fact we're talking. Right, um... So it's a harder sell. I feel like almost people are almost kind of almost looking for an excuse somehow for sort of uh, not listening. I mean, people first of all aren't listening, want don't necessarily want to be engaged in politics anyway. You know, it's that Oscar Wilde where he says the problem with democracy is so so the problem with socialism is it takes too many evenings, right? It's kind of it's, it takes a lot of effort to an extent, especially because we're trying to change the world. So here's the thing: Jeremy Corbyn just is the personification of what allows people to just ignore him. Yeah, I guess a throwback in a sense. Exactly, like Jeremy Corbyn's ideas, you you know this, and you know, you poll them and there's popular stuff within there, okay? But people can look at Jeremy Corbyn and the media obviously will push this forever and go, hey, look, it's a, and I'm, you know, it's a bearded, vegetarian, teetotal, sandal wearing, bike riding, Dylan cap wearing. Who's big in the 70s. Yeah, it's 1980s, sort of 70s, sort of figure from the past, blah, blah, blah. Now, and I, again, I, I, not I'm not saying those things are bad things, talking as a... Uh, Someone wears it. Uh, and it's a vegetarian. And this is, uh, and this is the grime. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, look, I'm, I'm down to four. I've, I've basically described myself, <laughs> apart from the teetotal and the sandals. But I'm big in the 70s. Exactly. <laughs> Huge in the 70s. But um, it just basically allows people to go, ah, oh, it's nonsense. Without even looking at it, it kind of gives you that excuse to turn off. I think that's... Within the hegemonic war of position, right, if you want people to listen to you, you've got to think about those signifiers. And the signifiers attached to him are things which talk to people who are already convinced, but make it so much easier to stereotype, to ignore. But weirdly, isn't that, like, what Theresa May or the Conservatives using is that is almost like a, a throwback to a Thatcherite era. It's, well, yeah. It's almost, yeah, like the kind of caricatures of both parties. But that's because Thatcherism, although it doesn't, it, it's not played sort of well in some areas, the signifiers attached to it are strength. Yeah. It's the Iron Lady. It's also, let's remember, 
basically the embedded norms of everything now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah so, pretty much. There's an article that people should read, and it's called The Great Move and Right Show by Stuart Hall. And basically what he talks about is that Thatcherism is just a revolutionary system in many ways, and that what it did, it just basically, I mean, without Thatcher, we wouldn't, you know, as, as I just said, everything we take for granted, you know, competition between people, um, you know, there's no such thing as community, things like that. These are all Thatcher's legacy, you know, Blair, Blair was Thatcher's legacy, Cameron was Thatcher, is a sort of child of Thatcher. Um, so, yeah, in many ways, like, this, I mean, and let's not forget, right, yes, Thatcher decimated working class communities in Wales. Loads of people in Wales vote for Thatcher. Loads of people in Wales vote for Thatcher. Because working class people as well. Loads of working class people in mm-hmm. Wales. 1983 was it? Yeah, I mean, like, right to buy um, her sort of, the, the sort of bone or whatever she tossed to the working class, worked in Wales just as it did in England. And, um, you know, and let's not forget, you know, the Welsh got behind the Falklands War. Yeah, as much as as, aspirational idea. The aspirational war. Like. Yeah, the aspirational war. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think, I mean, but, but the signifier there is important because what it also means is when Corbyn, so Corbyn can be easily sort of written off and ignored in that regard. His ideas, even though many of his ideas are the obvious sort of position, you could argue, right? They get to be out of date automatically just because they're, they're, they're just tarred with that. And it also means when he inevitably collapses under the weight of everything against him, um, he the danger is he's going to just drag all those down because the argument is, well, we tried those arguments. They weren't popular. Get rid of them. Well, I would argue if you had a young, God for the love of God, female uh, politician articulating them, they could be really positive because a lot of that is we need to change. We need radical change. But... I feel like he wasn't the person to do that. The other thing there is, let's talk about competency, because I do think we need to. There's a problem with where he comes from within the Labour Party, which is that um, that, that le- the left group within the PLP, they, there's an element to which they never made the, fam- the familial links and the friendship links with the rest of the PLP that you need if you're going to be leader. A perfect example of this, I was told by a Welsh Labour uh, MP for a, a sudden seat. It's, uh, it's a man, just so that you don't think it's the obvious person I'd be talking about. So they have a name. Uh, they do have a name, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. But he, um, during the um, deputy leadership election, uh, where you had, he was the one of Hillary Benn and uh, Andy Burnham and Diane Abbott and all that lot. Was that the one? No, it was the leadership election when Diane Abbott was in it against Ed Balls and Ed Miliband. I forget, right? Expert on the Labour Party. Anyway, so he got into a lift with Diane Abbott there. And he was like, oh, hello, Diane, how are you doing? And she went, God, have we ever actually spoken in the years we've been here? And he's like, no, I don't think we have. And she went, then why the hell do you think I want to talk to you now? Oh, snap. And there's this element oh, whereby... Burn. Exactly, right? Now, who knows if that's true, but I tend to believe this guy, he's, he's got no reason to sort of lie about this. It, but um, it ties into the fact that they never made those links. They didn't kind of tie in. The argument was they, they turn up, they go and stand on the back bench, give the same speech they do, and then disappear. Again, this might be seen as terrible slander. I, I'm ruining your podcast as to speak angry tweets being directed at me. I, I'll know when you put it up because suddenly my phone will this start hate, pinging. This hate monger, this yeah, exactly. If it, if it gives us more traffic, we don't yeah. care at this point. <laughs> but it means, but 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 it means if you don't have that sort of link, like there are left, let's, someone like Paul Flynn, right, mm. is a clear left wing uh, MP, and everyone loves him because he makes he, he works within the party. He's sort right, of like, he's got those links. He's part of the of the culture there in a way they kind of didn't make that link in there. Which well, is leader Clive is a problem. Lewis as well. He's a favourite. Yeah. Clive Lewis is new, of course. Ticking all the boxes, though. Working class, fought in a war. Exactly. NATO is a socialist organisation. Yeah, it is. 
founded by uh, Clement Yeah. Both deeply socialist. Spreading socialism in Yugoslavia. One of the things, I mean, I think you, I mean, I don't disagree. And they also don't know how to even put an amendment in in Parliament when they start off. These are like practical issues. Yes, that's what's interesting. I mean, that's the, I mean, because competence, people talk about competence, you know, um, and competence for me is, I was like, well, well what it, it's I, about as someone who is in, yeah. is, is incompetent in my day-to-day life, I, yes. always, I have a vested interest in social, and social life. What, you know, yeah, well, what is competence? You know, like, so yeah. let's, uh, let's... You've been studying it for a while. <laughs> it, it, it's basically, you know, they became completely reliant on the whips. And that's, you know, so it's, it's all those things mished together where people, it's where you have a meeting. This was the one, they had a shadow cabinet meeting. And they said, all right, we'll go back to our constituencies and we'll talk to our CLPs, and we'll decide what we're going to do. We'll feedback next week. By the time they left that meeting, an email had gone out to all Labour members going, hey, everybody, tell us what you think of this policy. And it's that sort of cack-handed, why would you think it's a good idea to sort of insult them by going over your head to get what you want? It's yeah. like, they could have played it just smarter. I don't, think they're very, I don't think they've played it smart, and I think a lot of that comes down to, they're obviously terrified, they close their doors, they think they're under attack, and in many ways they are. But I don't think that, I think it's a complete fallacy to see anti-Corbyn views as right-wing and Blairite. Some of it is, my God, there's obvious examples, but it's not automatically. A lot of this does come to massive frustration. And I've got to tell you, on the doorstep, He's, he's terrible. Do they actually not? I mean, because I, I yes. always thought, I mean, I, I... Lads, you've got to come out to me today. But right? I, I honestly, I mean, I, I, I will help, but I, in my head, I'm like, I don't believe it. Right? I mean, <laughs> I, no, because the, the things you just said about Corbyn and the fact that, you know, he's not, he, he's a throwback and things like that. Um, I'm a throwback. <laughs> <laughs> but, one, but one of the reasons I think that people love Corbyn and I like Corbyn is that he is what, it's almost taking what politics should be yep. rather than almost what yep. it is. In like he's a nice bloke. He's got good part. He's you know he's good. yes he hasn't got like the best like public image. Um, he's a, a decent human being. You know he's consistent. He's, yeah. he's consistent. And, and for me that's like well, that's in my head. I'm like that's what politics sh- yeah. should be. And that's what. And the thing is though, in other countries, um, I can't. I mean, you know, the only thing I can think of is is Uruguay with the uh, former sort mm-hmm. of Marxist uh, scruffy prime minister that lives in like a. Oh chicken, yeah, chicken, a, ch- a chicken coop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, in my head, I'm thinking, well, you know, has politics really changed that much? You know, are people that obsessed with me? I mean, and and one of the reasons that I I hardened in that view is that I mean, we've been blocked by Owen Smith for telling him to get his willy out, like because he said it was twenty nine. He implied it was twenty nine inches long, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but for me, it was like and a certain picture they, they, send them. The Jeremy I mean, Surely, within the Labour Party, there isn't anyone. There isn't any. I mean, apart from Clive Lewis, who I mean, I not into because of that, like NATO sort of thing. But I mean, there's not. There doesn't seem to be anyone that fits the bill of like a, a young, well, charismatic. That's literally the problem, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But until they get Owen Jones on. But, that, but that's so. You, but you, so you both read the Richard Seymour book, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. On on Hagman. I think that he nails exactly why Corbyn was elected. I completely agree. There's I think no that. No, not necessarily. Um, it's well, he's, he's elected because people are fed up of a party which has um, professionalised, yeah. got too many kids in no, suits. Far, 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 far more than any other party, But you can drop that parallels with Bernie Sanders as well, isn't it? You see someone who's kind of outside of the system. But I think, the, but I think the problem there is um, that explains why he was elected, and I totally understand that. I, I, I agree with the analysis of what went wrong within Labour. I just think he's completely the wrong candidate. The problem, so. That's your problem, it's, and also it does mis it does misunderstand um, 
there's also a misunderstanding just what, what's possible within the Labour Party. It's not a revolutionary organisation, I'm afraid. Right. Um, but is it, is as, it, as Ralph Miliband. But, but, but as Ralph Miliband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the argument is, I mean... But, sorry, what's funny about that is seen a lot of like certain um, independent media outlets who... <laughs> all of a sudden, or like a certain, like Paul Mason and such, jump on the Labour Party bandwagon, and they know full well like that it's it's destined to fail. I used, I used to carry around. I mean, when I first started teaching him in, in bank, I mean, I used to have carry around a copy of the State and Capitalist Society with Ralph yep. because I think still think it's probably one of the best books on books on politics. Yeah. But, but basically, guys, back in the back in the sixties and was it into the seventies, there was a debate between Ralph Miliband and people like was it Ralph Coates? Was it Coates? Like was his first name? But you know, basically, Ralph Miliband essentially said, "Labour Party is pointless because you get a left wing person elected. Um, firstly, that's going to be almost impossible, and this is what you've seen with Corbyn, like the right wing or people the media have turned on him, the Labour Party itself have turned on him, um, and even if he did get in, you'd get a situation just like in like Syriza in Greece where." The, the left wing would just be destroyed by capital uh, and things seen, like that. Have um, you seen a very British coup? No. Oh, it's uh, yeah. this British film that's about a socialist being elected and then all the institutions just yeah. all move against him straight away. It's written by Chris Mullins, who is part of Tony Benn's uh, sort of support within the Labour Party. Oh, Labour Party. He came out... On Channel 4. And as we're saying, he came out and said, Corbyn is a catastrophe and yeah. he can't win. So, like, the point is it's sort of that structural... Yeah, but, but, but in, in the 60s, the counter-argument was just kind yeah. of you know, Coates and um, people said, well, actually... You David know, Coates? But, Tennessee. But, but, but it's actually really... Comp- I personally... I, mean, I was like, well, Miliband's the boy, obviously. And, but then I read this Coates article about um, why it is possible. Mm-hmm. And I know you agree with that. And, um, and it, it is well. a compel- But it's a compelling argument. Yeah. Um, but the question would be now is like you know right, if you don't support Corbyn right well there is firstly who who else is there so it's almost like you're right well but, okay so this is but this is what like Adorno would talk about with actionism right it's this idea of you have got to do something I was of the very, I used to be my nickname used to be Menschelik Dave for a period okay because <laughs> I and, and my so argument, like Louise Mensch she's like oh dear God that's right the Russians are coming but that that's the, part of my element was I was like during that election going look vote for Yvette Cooper because even though none of them are better and they won't win, you've got to build up someone who can win. And I, you know, but then that's why... I mean, she just struck me me as a cyborg, just the same as... I'm not saying that... I don't think any of them could have won, but I think that if you wanted to get a left candidate who could have won, you didn't want to jump on the first person you had there because they're all of the structural problems. I always thought, like, the danger with momentum is that it's obviously, like, uh, a grassroots grassroots something in, like, you know, inverted commas, because it's not really. It's just something used to funnel uh, people into the Labour Party was um, some momentum in a sense is not dangerous but like it takes a lot of um, I guess m- momentum out of, a, <laughs> out of the left wing like group that can work outside of a parliamentary process and put pressure on it one of the problems so, so then you know it kind of gets put into you know the Labour Party will get dismissed and eventually extinguished but I think that see this is a good thing I think honestly socialists if they want to do something they need to link up the party with with community organisations and groups. I mean, David Miliband was supporting this sort of stuff when he was in there trying to get activists. The big society is not in itself a bad idea. The problem is the Tory idea. The Tory idea was people should run their local communities. So we won't give them any money, any time, any training, any resources, run your library. That's a terrible idea. But if the idea is we will devolve power and resources and stuff to local control, I'm all for that. You know, I think that, let's say, the means of production... 
uh, branch of the Tory party. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I think that I, I'm, I believe in localism for that regard as well. Mm. So the issue there is why we come back to why is there this differentiation with uh, Corbyn here? Um, it's been there from the beginning. Rodri Morgan came out, and I remember when Corbyn was trying to attach himself to Clear Red Water. It's like, no, that's, that's not what we, we're doing here. I mean, Jones has been there from the beginning. But a lot of it is also the leadership in, doesn't necessarily get it, I think, as well. But I mean, the Welsh Labour Party, you know, when Blair was in charge and Brown was in charge. Brown selling, understood devolution. But selling Clear Red Water. Blair learns to understand devolution. <laughs> but, but selling Clear Red Water and, yeah. you know, sort of you know, differentiating yourself. Uh, from the, sort of the Labour, the Labour Party in Westminster, it was quite easy when they're pursuing fairly sort of orthodox, you know, neoliberal yeah, yeah, reforms. Yeah. Um, and it's easy for the Welsh Labour Party to carve out this. Oh, well, we're social democrats. There. What I think is interesting is like, you know, they've always been, the selling point has been we're a social democratic party. Then you've got an actual social democrat leading the, the the sort of party in Westminster, and now they're sort of struggling. And I thought that was personified by Owen Smith because he was stro- He was like, well, I am. You know, kind of left wing, and but I'm also, you know, not caught. You know, so they've, they've struggled, I think, to create this. Well, no, because the, the thing there is between, like, well, to an extent, what Owen Smith was was he was running as a knight in Bevan reborn, right? That was this sort of kind of that. That's what he was going for, like, in or even the cadence. Do you think he believes that privately? I don't know. I think he's just a he's a, he was a millionaire before he was forty. I think so. I don't think you. Like personally, he can't give so are we though, so we can't like. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's a different sort of form of labourism. I think that's a different thing. So like, I think he was running as a labour candidate rather than maybe a socialist candidate. I, I'm that's in, no, that's well, that's interesting. Uh, he was also running a, on a misogynistic ticket as well, which I thought was. Uh, to, to be fair, he did have to like fight loads of people for his wife. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just uh, listen. Posh coffee is a, a major concern within certain sections of the Labour Party. That's what I was f- funny about. Oh, this, uh, they've got this weird workerism, like fetishization of the working class. But like. you'd have huge Italian immigration into the valleys, yeah, so you would have had like of yeah, of. yeah. So to Italian, us, just like Italian culture, you know, if anyone's ever been to South Wales, one of the biggest Italian population. I mean, the Italians have had a huge influence um, on South Wales culture. My neighbour's um, Italian. You've got in mean, every class, every class, every school in South Wales. Yep. You've got you know, numerous you know, Italian names everywhere. Um, so for <laughs> anyway, it's not getting. It's because this this sort of Andy Burnham going up to people shaking hands and then telling them his favorite like Stone Rose album and things like that. And then it's just it, it's so worthy. It's just like this weird like, um, I you know oh, all these posh people with their with their coffees. I don't know. It's just I think it's moronic. Let's get. We'll, we'll come back now um, to. The, to Bridgend. Bridgend is on uh, it's the front line um, the Tories are it's the most important thing in this election it's the number one Tory seat they're trying to gain in Wales um, firstly tell us about the the Conservative candidate who's coming in um, well I suppose we need to like point at the elephant in the room at this point I suppose because you know rather than say it at the upstart which means everyone just turns off the podcast so it, my, <laughs> my second name is Moon and the local candidate in Regen is also Moon so. that's a coincidence I know yeah. it's funny <laughs> so I've got a, I've got a dog in this in this uh, fight uh, although Labour are against Labour are against dog fighting so that's uh, <laughs> important no um, yeah so Regen's fascinating in fact the Tories in this election in Wales are fascinating so that first of all I'm not shocked that the Tories are doing so well in Wales. I think this has been a long time coming. Everyone looks at Scottish Labour and says, oh, look, it's doing so terribly well there. My thing is, well, at least Scottish Labour knows how bad things are. They recognise how bad things are. This has been something like it's been coming for a while. I was shocked maybe at how far ahead they were in that poll. 
But with your writings on the lack of the we- the loss and the disappearance of the Welsh effect, pli- uh, UKIP plus Tories had forty percent of the vote in twenty fifteen. You know? Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at the Labour. I mean, you look at the Labour vote. I mean, people have been trying to pin the decline of Labour in Wales on Corbyn already. But I mean, if you look at the, the Labour vote, has been declining yeah. massively since what two thousand. Was it 2001 they started to tail off? I mean, um, it started to drop off. Um, I think in Bridgetown's constituency, though, sometimes it has gone up. It, it was, a, it was a, a little spike with Labour in, the, in 2015. A little, they sort of... Oh, well, Labour went up, the Tories also went up. Uh, yeah, but the, to- but the point is... Libs, Lib Dems went up the... And, um, the Tories have been gradually... for that. The Tories have been yeah. gradually growing and growing and growing in Wales in terms of the percentage of the vote share. But what's interesting is, despite that and all this stuff, and we're sitting here with your... One of you, the many, many glossy Theresa May leaflets that they're pumping into this constituency. They're getting framed after this. It's beautiful. They're, they're just they're, they're pouring money into Bridgend, obviously. And they haven't got any money. Yeah, but ironically, like when they, if they do get in, mm. that's exactly what they won't do is pour no. money into Bridgend. Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, all the, all the money we spent on leaflets. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to go to school, just check your recycling bin but, and just recycle, you know. But what's free? They're ahead in the polls, they're pumping money in. But uh, what's across. Wales, they've really screwed up with their candidate selection, right? The fact that they've ended up imposing a candidate on Bridgend, who's not from Bridgend, who I think she's been here twice probably in her entire life. Once Pe- by accident, wasn't it? Yeah. Peg on her nose campaigning. And it's, but, but, and it's not only here. They, <laughs> Sanitising her hands every the, to- the Tories have got the most candidates who aren't living in the constituencies, right? Yeah. You know, it's a, that's a real mess up there. Anyway, so yeah, the Tory candidate, she's... Well, she's just not local. She doesn't know the area. Yeah, she upset the local uh, Tory party a great deal. So they're fighting. Uh, they must seem surprised though, that like a local candidate wasn't. Um, I see no reason they couldn't have. Oh, in fairness, they didn't have a local candidate last time, although he did come from here. But they've had local candidates in the past. The, the idea that they didn't have a decent local candidate is just insulting, obviously. So what is it? I mean, basically, I mean, yep. Let's talk. I mean, why does it mean? Why is it important that? Um, Bridgend stays Labour, but but also I mean there's we talk about Labour de- Labour's decline and the state of the party and things like that, um, and you've written I think passionately and and it makes a lot of sense on on what you know Madeline is her relationship is to the constituency. So go, go right. So this is the why you should vote Labour if you're in Bridgend. Have you done any demographics or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, but it, it's I mean, no. That's fine. Look, listen. I mean. This comes back to a wider point about politics, and it's something you talked about before in the past, which is confusion and a lack of knowledge about what actually the Scales. people do. Yeah. Okay. A large amount of the inbox you'll get as an MP will be about local council issues and stuff yeah. like this as well. There's just general confusion. But you've got to think about what what do they do. I would almost say, look, it's not about thinking about Labour candidate here. It's about your local MP. And it is. The stuff that you lose... It's really weird if you want me to just talk at my mother. I'm kind of talking in third person here. But if you want to... Um, what So stuff my mother's worked on. This is what gets in my head, right? She's done work on uh, sexual assault, rape, and bullying in the military, making sure that you've got an ombudsman in there for people who have... Uh, you know, members of our military who are uh, victims there. That's a massively important thing, which wouldn't have happened if she hadn't pushed that stuff forward. If you don't have someone like that, it's not there. She did lots and lots of work on suicide, okay, which is obviously a local, you know, issue which is incredibly important for me and you. And you know, yeah, my here. my dad took his own life, so it's just <laughs> it's just literally couldn't be more important than this stuff. And it's exactly the sort of thing that people don't vote on. Yeah, people don't yeah. vote for a local candidate because of their work in suicide prevention, suicide strategies in place. They don't vote for them because 
um, of the work they've done with sort of sexual assault in the military. They don't vote for them for uh, uh, other sort of links that they're being making. I mean, uh, she's actually the NATO uh, representative, so he'll be very, very <laughs> positive about that. But it's, it's all those little things which get lost. It's that you have a local campaigning MP who's been going into Ford, who's obviously working you know, to, with, with the party more generally with Tata. But she knows Ford very well. Or helping set up the, the, the furniture group, the all-party furniture group when we lost all those jobs back in 2005. It's those sorts of stuff that if you don't have that candidate in place, it just won't be done. It'll disappear. And if you've got an out-of-towner who's only here because she was dropped in by the party, you know, she literally doesn't know Kevin She's never. She probably knows Paul Call by this point, yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 like you don't know the community, you don't know the people. I I find the idea of just wandering into a random constituency going hello. That's no, mad. It's mad. You don't. These aren't your people. It's not your community. There's, I mean, you there's, don't know there's almost a, a show to be made there about uh, the experience. I mean, you know, the sitcom. Well, yeah, for someone being parachuted into an area. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I mean, what is funny is that they tend to get parachuted into like less. Uh, Less salubrious areas, shall we say? But I mean, you know, they, they're like they've got to go. Oh, well, we've got to find a house. Uh, got to sort of pretend I know the, the place. But as you said, you might, I mean, your mum's been how long has she been the MP? Uh, two thousand five. So twelve years. Twelve years. Um, and the point of people don't understand the point of an MP. The point of an MP is to essentially lobby. It isn't you know it's to it's to fight the corner for the, for, for your local area, local issues at Westminster. Yeah. Um. But it's also really important. Like one of the, th- the narrative you got about this was, oh, well, what what have what have Welsh MPs got to do now the devolution? But actually, it's not like they're sat around twiddling their thumbs. But that's important. I mean, that's it. why do you clear that up? Yeah, I mean that's that's really important. So one of the if you if you look at for example uh, select committees, if you look at all party groups, these are sort of campaigning groups where you're putting pressure on the government and you're holding people to account. There's a lot of uh, Welsh MPs on there because those are areas where they can make an influence on non-devolved. Subjects. They also start to campaign in particular issues and areas. I mean, obviously, the, the stuff with women's pensions at the moment, you know. Just because you're not directly involved in, say, uh, running health doesn't mean you're not doing anything. Instead, what you're doing is you're focusing on British-level stuff, individual campaigning. And another thing there is, let's not forget here, that the money we have to run our services in Wales is based upon the money that's spent in England Welsh MPs are, are voting on those budgets. I mean, can you think of how many things generally have no spending implication? It's sort of this, I've, I've always had this problem with yeah, English Votes for English Laws, this idea that it's so easy to just break down where money's going for that. So your local MP is campaigning locally. I mean, again, my mother was a former teacher, former social worker, classic background for sort of, well, used to be the classic background for a Labour candidate. It's about organising, it's about paperwork, it's about all that stuff. It's about your local community, but it's also for... Looking out for Wales on the national interest, having that voice there, and getting, just getting stuff done that no one else is going to do. She also has worked at every level of government. And she, so she yeah, she's town council, from, borough council. Um, so she knows... I'll tell you the other thing. She knows the scales. The other thing, which is just... Is multi-neuron disease. Obviously, it's very big for my... You know, my father uh, had picked disease and died from this stuff. It's kidney disease. She's put a huge amount of stuff into that, and dialysis and these sorts of ideas. It's, it's, it's those little individual elements you've got to kind of look at, and no one votes on it. People vote on stuff like Theresa May, who's obviously not on the ballot here, but it's... Yeah. It's, so whatever, you know, again, I'm not expecting I'll win over many sort of local uh, Bridgendian people to vote. No, I mean, hell, maybe we should play this in, in the comp. But um, I just think more and more people need to actually look at, at what their local candidates, what people in power do 
you know. But it'll be interesting. I mean, like, Steve, let's contrast your experience with your mother, you know, your, and what your mother's campaigning on locally with, say, someone in, um, like you know, Stephen Crabble or someone like that in Pembroke. Who, I mean, these, these are people that are, are basically going to around their area, knowing full well they've voted to slash funds to, you know, the, the community, community centres closed down, you know, like things like that. They'll be like, oh, huh, that was me, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, happy days. You, but you, bit, you but it, also, it, also, it also points to sort of like, I mean, part of the reason I get so annoyed about how simplistically we talk about the Labour Party is because, you know, I know people in the Labour Party, so I, I can see it's more complicated. I mean, the perfect example is she voted against, um, do you remember when John McDonnell came in, we were supposed to be voting to... Um, keep the welfare uh, bill capped and she voted against that she rebelled from the left and it was like yes good left-wing hero then and this won't make her popular for a lot of people she broke the whip and voted because she supported uh, Trident and everyone's like boo evil Blairite scum and it's like it's just so simplistic you yeah. know? it's you know Bridgend part of the problem for Bridgend and Brexit is of course it voted as a uh, an authority which includes my stag and Bridgend in it so while Bridgend voted leave Actually, with what breakdown you go, you don't know. Bridgend, if it was, whatever it's going to be, is close here. But the fact that she ended up, you know, uh, rebelling on the whip on Article 50 as well, um, it's probably not going to do here a huge amount of favours. I mean, the situation Bridgend is this. It's UKIP voters going to the Tories. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. it's that's why if you're a Liberal Democrat and you want to vote for someone, if you play Cymru, you've, the, the le- there's only one left vote in this seat. One of the things I'm interested in is the extent to which we actually will have any tactical voting in a progressive alliance. I don't necessarily... Well, Wayne Davis came out and nixed it the other day, didn't he? So that's not well, there's nothing happen. formally going to happen, mm. but never will. But what I mean is just general general public. We don't need to be told what to be done by party leaders, right? I'm Labour. I'm voting Liberal Democrat in Bath because I'll do anything I possibly can to uh, turf out our local MP there. Well, we're in, well, well, while we're talking about that, I mean, I've always sort of... I mean, I've always been of the mind, like, an, like an, as an anarchist, you know, like an accelerationist, almost like, you know, let's let the Labour Party die and then we build something else. But well, some of the things you're talking about, and some of the things that, Tree- think- some of the things that Theresa May and um, what's happening in the UK, I don't really think people are, are appreciating the trouble we are in. And I don't, I mean, um, I really don't think they do. I mean, you were talking the other day about, for example, little things like local boundary yeah. changes. I mean, why don't you talk about... Um, Firstly, what um, the Tories are proposing for think, places like Bridgend, and also what they're proposing like in London and things like that. Okay, so we, I'm, I'm actually. How long have you got? Two more, two more minutes. Two yeah. more minutes. Yeah. Right. So the Constitution of the United Kingdom is founded to withhold the power of the monarch. Okay, we've got an uncodified constitution. It's incredibly centralised. Europe has given us some sort of human rights embedded. That we're leaving that. What that means is we've got an unconstrained government to do what it wants. This government is doing several things. It's cutting them. It wants to cut the number of MPs. It's going to do so on new boundaries, most of which actually end up cutting. Uh, it's based on uh, registration, which means a huge amount of people in the inner cities have disappeared, which is normally Labour voting. So we're going to lose seats. Wales is losing a heck of a lot of seats, and when they're losing, so for example, Porthcawl being glued into the Vale of Glamorgan, that's a safe Tory seat. You would you would imagine if that happens. So it's kind of gerrymandering a bit there. The new manifesto says they want to put single get rid of uh, preferential voting in uh, elections for the mayors and in London uh, and instead put in first past the post. That's another centralisation step back there. Less MPs, uh, they've flooded the House of Lords, they want to cut back on that. When Brexit comes, the big question is where those powers are going to go. This is a government which is clearly getting ready to store as much power possibly centrally as it can. It's quite terrifying. If you look through that manifesto, it's filled with quite a lot of extreme stuff. We might go, why have the Tories put this in their manifesto? 
And I think they put it in the manifesto, which is when they get into power, the House of Lords won't be able to overturn anything because they go, it's in the manifesto. But nobody reads the manifesto. These little things disappear, such as top-down altering the voting system in London despite them having had a referendum. Regulating, uh, regulating the internet. Regulating um, the internet. Brilliant. But these are things that, I mean, I mean so th- th- this is the background. I mean, so, and that's what, how we should sort of think about, I think, tactical voting. I mean, that's the, this is what the, the reality is. We can, I mean, we've got a government, you know, Theresa May, likely in the form of government, sadly, but she's sort of absorbed this far-right rhetoric of UKIP. Um, it's, it's a right, it's a right populist government. I mean, it's a, it's a very authoritarian as well. It's, it's I mean, it's, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite frightening. <laughs> right, <laughs> nice, joyous end into that one. Another uh, one. Uh, die. Any shout outs? Uh, <laughs> late <Rupert Jen. laughs> No shout outs. I am. Yeah, just peace to my, my homies. Good stuff, Nate. Uh, shout out to uh, your family because they said they wanted to meet me and that I sounded oh. lovely. So it's a bit of yeah, it's no, almost no. like a kind of roundabout shout out. They've never you. listened to the podcast, yeah? No, apparently a lot. <laughs> a lovable, a lovable guy. You're a lovable guy, right? Uh, shout uh, I'm off to Croatia tomorrow um, with my girlfriend, so I'm pretty chuffed oh. with that. So um, I don't know. That's not really a shout out, but uh, right, it's more of a brag. It's more of a brag, yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll be back soon with more general election specials. Um, we're going to publish some of Dai's awesome work on the Twitter and the Facebook, so keep listening. Uh, as ever, keep giving us money. Um, speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Pop, top, check it out. Lick the foil with, with your, your tongue. tongue. Give, Give it to your friends. As a gift. As a gift. I'm going to write down one word. Let's change gears. You know what that makes me think about? Rolo Tony Brown Town. Check yourself at the door. Give me some more. Give me some more. Give me some more of your Rolos.